Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. We're back after a few weeks off with an amazing episode for you all. Today's guest is Gail Becker, the gutsy entrepreneur who left her high-powered corporate America gig behind to launch Cauliflower, the brand responsible for the cauliflower crust pizza craze. As someone who's pivoted their career countless times from journalism to politics to corporate PR and now entrepreneurship, Gail had plenty of insights to drop during our conversation. Stay tuned for my chat with Gail, where we talk about advice for starting over professionally and knowing which risks are worth taking, how to market niche products, and how the pandemic will forever change the food space. Now, let's get to our conversation. Hi, Gail. Thanks so much for joining me on Girlboss Radio today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because I've been a fan of Collie Power for a long time. I'm mm, 99% gluten-free. I try. I really try. I've cheated a few times in quarantine, but uh, there's so few products out there that are like yours. And congratulations on all of your success. I'm ex- excited to dig into your story a little bit more. Thank you. That means a lot. And by the way, there are no rules in quarantine, so... I know, I know, I know. It's easy to beat beat ourselves up that you know when we're not chased, but it's just exactly it's true purgatory. <laughs> um, I want to start at the beginning. Um, you've such an interesting background that is n- none of it other than being like an incredible executive and a great marketer, which you know you've done with Call of Power as well. It hasn't really been a linear path into. Uh, the consumer packaged goods, food kind of industry, and I'll get into how that happened. But where did you start? What was your first job? My first job was, um, it was a little uh, chain called Clothes Time. They sold very cheap clothes. Oh, I know Clothes Time. I know Clothes Time. Do you know Clothes Time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I used to have to hang up clothes morning, noon, and night. And I have to say, that's all I did was hang up clothes. And to this day, I hate hanging up clothes um, as a result, or at least that's what I blame it on. Uh, But that was my first job. Is there anything you learned from it that you've taken into your career other than the fact that you hate hanging up clothes? Was there anything you learned about customer service or presentation? (sighs) Yeah, you know, I... To be honest with you, um, I probably, so that was my first real job, but, but the first time I actually worked and was probably, would probably be a better answer is I used to work at my father's store starting at five years old and I would earn $20 a day plus lunch. It was every Saturday and I used to ring the cash register for him. And I have to say so much of what I learned, I know this sounds crazy, but so much of what I have learned in business, I can attribute to that little stool and that very old cash register in my dad's store in San Francisco. And one of the lessons, I remember there was this man who came in and he was having a diabetic seizure and he knitted um, sugar 
And so my, my dad ripped open a box of chocolates and started giving him sugar and all these people were standing around and, and nobody was doing anything. And he was the only one that was doing something. And when the man sort of came out of it, he was so appreciative to my father and he wanted to pay him. He said, let me at least pay you for the chocolate or just, you know, something. And my father wouldn't take it. And, you know, he always taught me that, you know, in this world, you have to do good wherever you can. Uh, and you have to try and help people. And um, I've tried to take a lot of the lessons I learned behind that cash register uh, in everything I do today. And you went on, you know, you went You've grown from that stool in closed time, you know, all the stripes and the platform flip-flop <laughs> sandals and all the things that, like, I wanted so bad. Closed time was, like, the coolest, like, the the stretchy, like, spandex black flares. Like, oh, my God, I wanted all of it. It was so grown up. <laughs> um, and you went on to get a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree, Um and started in broadcast journalism. Tell me just about the kind of person you were um, then that motivated you to study these things because we, we can be so many different people over the course of our lives and careers. Um, what was it that motivated you to learn about political science and journalism? I always wanted to be a journalist for as long as I could remember. And I think one of the reasons why was I love to tell stories and uh, I loved learning about new things every day. And I felt journalism was a wonderful way to learn a little bit about a lot of things and to meet interesting people and to ask a lot of questions. Um, I feel much more comfortable answering, uh, asking questions than I do answering them. And um, it's a lot more fun for me too. So I thought I'm going to be a journalist. And my first job in TV news was in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, and which is a state I had never been to before I moved there. And I covered chili cook-offs and uh, car accidents, basically a hundred different ways to kill a man. Uh, and that's what I did for one year. Uh, I had very big hair, very big shoulder pads. Uh, and I learned a lot. Um, but I also learned that I really didn't want to be in local news. What was it about local news that you didn't love? I felt like it was all very fleeting. I felt like I really couldn't make much of an impact. You know, today it was a car accident. Tomorrow it was a chili cook-off. The next day it was a city council meeting. It just, I wanted to do something more impactful and long-lasting. And it was all quite fleeting for me. Um, there was one time when I actually put a naked man on television, but I don't know how much of the podcast that would eat it into, but, um, I decided after I accidentally did that, that it was probably time to leave Beaumont, Texas, <laughs> but, um, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a, uh, very memorable time in my life. And you eventually got into marketing, which is a departure, but it's still communications to a certain extent, but you are invested in the brands that you're working with and the business that you're building, I think much more long-term than covering, you know, fleeting news. What led you to, you went to Edelman and you ended up like a chair and running the women's group and were there for quite a while. What attracted you to marketing at Edelman? Uh, I did work in, uh, 
politics and government for a while. I actually was a reporter in DC and I worked in politics and government. And I, I really like that. I like that ability to uh, impact, uh, to have an impact on people's lives. And I needed to um, come back to Southern California for personal reasons. I was very happy in Washington, but I needed to come back. And um, this job opportunity came up uh, at Edelman and I actually turned it down, I think seven times before I accepted it. And I remember having this conversation, this wonderful conversation with Richard Edelman, who said, you know, I don't understand. Why do you keep turning the job down? And I said, because, you know, I'm a journalist at my heart. I don't want to tell people, I don't want to be in a position to tell people what they want to hear. And I remember distinctly, he said to me, Gail, people don't want you to tell them what they want to hear. They want you to tell them what you think. And I said, wait a minute, you're going to pay me to tell people what I think? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, I'm in. And uh, I was there for 16 years. And uh, I started out running the Los Angeles office and grew to other titles within the company in the Western region and other countries. And it was a wonderful experience um, where I could help a lot of companies and learn a lot. But after 16 years, it was time for me to try something else. And that something else became call power. <laughs> That's perfectly logical, isn't it, Sophia? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How did, I mean, how did you get the idea for call power first? So um, what happened was um, I'm the mom of two boys with celiac disease. And they were diagnosed at such a young age that there was no gluten-free food in the store. So everything that they needed or wanted, I'd have to make from scratch. Now, eventually, the industry grew and become quite big and became quite big. But what I realized over time is that they were putting a lot of junk into gluten-free food, more fat, sugar, salt, and calories, and less nutrients. And I think, I think, like so many people, I sort of thought they, with quotes around it, uh, would clearly figure that out, and they would do something about it. But unfortunately, they never did, and so. I reached a point where I decided, huh, if I want to see change, I think I'm going to have to do it myself. I came across I came across cauliflower crust beets on the internet. I think the day that I found it, there were about 569,000 recipes. I did not invent it by any stretch. Um, I found one. I made it. I couldn't even tell you which recipe it was, quite frankly. It was okay. It wasn't great, but it was just fine. A couple weeks later, my one of my sons said to me, hey, mom, are you going to make that again? And I said, there is no freaking way. And he said, why not? And I said, because I don't have 90 minutes to make a pizza crust after I got home from a full day of work. In fact, I kind of think it's sort of insulting to assume that people actually do. <laughs> so um, I said, I'd find it for you. And I looked everywhere. I looked online. I looked in, in grocery stores. I couldn't find it. And I thought, I think I might need to start this company myself. Why not? Why not you, right? Why not me? Why not me? Uh, now, it, now it sounds, you know, kind of insightful at the time. It was probably pretty stupid. But <laughs> how did you originally fund the business? 
So, you know, my starting collie power, I would say, is a result of, of three things. One, it was my disenchantment with corporate America. I had been there quite a, quite a while, and I, I realized that um, it was time to do something else. Uh, my the other thing was this realization that, huh, I can't be the only one who thinks it's it's uh, ninety minutes is too long to spend making a pizza crust. And then third, and and probably most importantly, was the passing of my father. My father uh, was a Holocaust survivor. He came to this country with nothing, actually with less than nothing, no language, no family, no money, no skills. And uh, he built a small business. And that very business that where I used to work in the store every Saturday. And when he passed away a few years ago, something inside me really changed, as I think it does with all of us, right? Uh, you know, losing someone really makes you realize the fragility of life. And in the time you have left, you better at least do something you love or have one hell of a time trying. And I realized I had never done that. And so I, um, so when he passed away, he left me a little bit of money, not enough to, you know, retire on an island anywhere, but enough to take a risk, which is something I had never done. So I used his money. I used my own money. I maxed out my credit cards. I sold my clothes online. I did everything I could think of. And that's how I, that's what I used to start to fund the business. And okay. So there's an idea, right? And there's you in your kitchen, but then there's I need to find a manufacturer. I need to <laughs> figure out how to get this into a grocery store, start with farmer's markets or peddle it on the corner or just give it away or, you know, throw it like Frisbees. How did you, I mean, from idea to actual product on the shelves that people love and then marketing crust, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, Um how, how, where did you, I mean, really, where did you start and how did you, how did you cobble together these resources? So the great thing, and I, I hope some of your listeners, I hope this helps some of your listeners, but the great thing about this country, you know, particularly in today's economy, uh, you can hire anyone to help you with anything and to teach you anything. And so I did really, the only thing I, I knew how to do uh, is I found a consultant uh, that specializes in uh, startup food businesses. And I was like a sponge. I, I, I learned something new every day. Sophia, I still learn something new every day. And I, um, I, I paid them to teach me the business. Eventually, I hired people who knew far more about the business than I did, and um, and I kept pushing myself to learn, and that is really how we built the business was off consultants. And we learn through our challenges, and I know I know that any business owner has their challenges early on. What are some of the challenges you faced as a new entrepreneur, professionally or personally? <laughs> right, it's there's so much. Oh my God, I could fill up the remainder of this podcast with lots and lots. Um, I'll just pick a couple. Uh, you mentioned manufacturer. I think that's a great place to start. Sure, I had to you know, find someone to help me 
manufacture this. And, and that's part of what the consultants did. Um, but I had a lot of manufacturers tell me I was crazy. I mean, think about it at the height of, you know, frozen pizza consumption by all of these multinational corporations. Here was this, you know, woman, this uh, divorced mother of two who thought, okay, I want to make a crust out of cauliflower. <laughs> I mean, they looked at me like I was nuts. Uh, and uh, I had several people turn me away. I also had several people say, mm, we can't do that. And I just kept at it until we figured it out. So that was a huge challenge. Um, I think it, look, it was also a challenge not knowing the industry. I mean, a lot of people, at least if they're going to start a company, oftentimes they start companies within an area that they know. Well, I started one in an area I had never even worked before. So literally I would go to sales meetings and there was so much jargon and so many acronyms used in these meetings that I didn't even know what they were talking about. I would like leave the meeting and I'd have to like turn to my sales guy and say, uh, what just happened in there? <laughs> Cause I have no idea. Um, so those are just a couple, but I mean, there, there is still a, even to this day, some four years later, there is still a challenge every single day. What's challenging you right now? The things that are challenging me right now probably are mostly around COVID. Um, and that is just, you know, the demands on the, on the industry, on the grocery industries, on manufacturing, all the challenges that are happening, you know, the, um, everything from, you know, it's harder to get food into the stores. It's harder to keep it in the stores. It's, um, you can't make the product as quickly as you used to because people in the manufacturing facilities now have to stand six feet apart. So your, your throughput is not as good. You, there's a lot of additional expenses that you have to pay. There are so not to mention the fact of, you know, taking the company and running it virtually at a time when a lot of people, you know, have finding themselves with you know, more time, we are actually at the, you know, the busiest we've ever been. So those are just some challenges. Having said that, you know, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to keep so many people employed now. It is a privilege to see how hard everybody is working to ensure that that product is on the shelf um, and to, you know, make sure that people, you know, can have something that they love to eat every day. I mean, that's just a gift in and of itself. So, um, but those are just some of the challenges that this uh, new environment is uh, causing. Are there tweaks you've made or new systems you're using? What have been the most helpful changes you've made in terms of running a team, you know, being a leader, running, you know, with your business in the midst of COVID? What kind of changes have you made about, you know, with the way that you work? You know, there was this, um, this uh, tweet I read the other day that was so interesting to me. And it, it was basically saying how, you know, all these college graduates are going to have such a hard time finding a job, but that's the bad part. But the good part is we've never had more problems that need solving. And I think 
from a business perspective, the innovation that has come out of all the problems that we've had to solve has been, you know, inspiring to me, you know, mostly thanks to my incredible team. Um, there's all, there's been all kinds of challenges trying to get product from point A to point B to point C to point D. Uh, and somehow amidst all of this madness, they have figured out a way. So, uh, that's been, that's been really inspiring. You know, I, I think the other challenge, um, associated with trying to just, you know, run a business and lead a business right now is, you know, how do you, how do you make your team still feel like a team when everybody's in a different place? How do you make them feel like they want to work and want to contribute when they're scared about so many things happening in the world? Um, and so we have tried to do, we've tried a number of different ways to do that. I think we've been, um, I think we've been successful. I write a, I write a, a, a little silly email every single night since this has started, you know, just about different things. Um, and, um, some of them are funny, some are sad, some are, I'm sure everyone's laughing at me, but just something that reminds everybody that we are a team and it doesn't matter where we sit. Uh, we share a common goal and, um, and that's been, you know, quite frankly, some of the good that has come out of this. And your brand is everywhere, right? Call of Power is everywhere. We're in the midst of COVID. I see you everywhere. Here we are today. Um, but it's different how you market a brand like Call of Power or any brand for that matter is different today than it was just a few months ago. You know, food brands thrive on experiential marketing, offering samples. How have you pivoted your marketing strat strategy at this time, knowing that some of these things may not be an option for the foreseeable future? You are so right. It has been a huge challenge, you know, because before COVID, you know, our motto was let's get as much free pizza as we can to as many people as possible. And every event, every event we went to, we sampled pizza. We had trucks. We went to food shows. We went to festivals. We went to concert. We went to girl boss. Uh, we, we, everything we did included free sampling. Well, now not only are there no events to sample at, but nobody wants to take any free food. So it's like it, it's it, like it's it's from a marketing perspective, the challenges have been have been many. What we have done is um, we have done a couple things. Uh, we have shifted to a lot of coupons, so we are giving out lots and lots of coupons, uh, lots of free coupons, lots of other and 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 otherwise, uh, because we want to encourage people to try the product. Um, we have also shifted our. Um, our nonprofit component. So since day one, and this is a little bit, you know, unusual for a, a, such a young company, but since day I left corporate America because I knew I wanted to make a difference. And so from early on, we have give, given a percentage of sales to help build teaching gardens in underserved schools across the country. Well, it's really hard to build teaching gardens when no one, no kids are actually going to schools. So we have pivoted the team has done a remarkable job um, in partnership with the American Heart Association, and we have pivoted, and now we are giving 50,000 free uh, meals and produce 
to families in need who normally rely on schools to give food uh, to the kids. So that is something that we're now able to do, which I have to say is incredibly rewarding. And, um, and we're just so thrilled to be in a position to do that. That's amazing. I mean, I think those of us who are in a position to help right now kind of have a like moral imperative to help. And, you know, one thing that even with, you know, a lot of our companies are struggling right now, uh, having money in the bank is everything, right? Cash is king. And you raised, you raised capital uh, from investors. Uh, you raised $10 million. And so I'd love to hear just about the fundraising aspect of your story. Um, when did you seek that out? How did that happen? Why did you choose to do it? And what was that process like? Sure. So I started the company in May of 2016. We launched it in February of 2017. And I closed my first round in September of 2017. Um, I decided to raise capital because I was out of money and I mean out and I, um, I probably waited too long, to be honest with you. I should have raised it a little bit earlier. You never really want to raise when you need it most. You want to raise a little bit in advance of that. Um, my, my, my goal in raising money was not just to get cash, but also, quite frankly, to get knowledge about the industry. Uh, I think the most important thing that entrepreneurs can take away and, and, and the biggest mistake that I see some entrepreneurs make is that, you know, they feel like they have to know everything because it's their business and they're the founder. So therefore, they must know everything. I think to be a really successful entrepreneur, you can't be afraid to admit what you don't know. And when you do that, you have to be smart enough and confident enough to hire around it. And that's what I tried to do. And that's why when I knew I needed money, I didn't just want money. I wanted smart money. And I wanted money from people who knew a hell of a lot more about food than I did. So I only went to food VCs, food specific uh uh, venture capital firms who uh, had been in the industry for a long time and uh, who could who could guide me. Now, interestingly enough, at the time, many turned me down. Uh, I had <laughs> I had a lot of people turn me down, and I hope that's uh, I hope some people find comfort in that because um, it was it was really disheartening, and they turned me down because they wanted we had been around for such a little, such a short time. Uh, and our success was so fast. And so I had a lot of them say to me, Oh, if we could just wait for a few more months of data. Well, guess what? I couldn't wait. I was out of time and out of money. So I found one great VC firm who believed in me and believed in Collie Power. And I believed in them. And I took that first $2 million. And what's interesting after what happened after is when I came time to raise my second round, all of the VCs who first turned me down in that first round, they all were there and said, okay, we want to give you money now. We're ready. Please take our money. We have this and we have this. And I said, no, because I felt it was important to be loyal to the people who take a bet on you. 
And um, you, Sophia, nobody probably knows better than you that, you know, that early support means everything and you never, ever forget it. Absolutely. And that can be hard to come by when we have it, right? Hang on to it because exactly. the people that have invested in me earlier in my career are the people that are still closest to me that still have a huge impact on my career. And it's just, you know, it's amazing how like one introduction or one relationship can become something that continues to change your life over time um, and that exactly. maintaining those relationships exactly. and building that level of trust and creating a sense of loyalty is just, it's everything. It's everything. It's everything. Okay, time for a quick break to tell you more about Call of Power. What was once born out of a desire to reinvent beloved foods for those with celiac and gluten sensitivities has now become the go-to brand for healthy and accessible alternatives to highly processed foods. When I was doing keto, their cauliflower crust pizza was in constant rotation when I needed a quick nourishing meal at the end of an exhausting day. In addition to cauliflower crust pizzas, they also offer all natural chicken tenders, cauliflower tortillas, sweet potato toast, and cauliflower rice. As our generous partner today, they're offering a free cauliflower product to all Girl Boss Radio listeners. To redeem, text BOSS to 21688 and try one of their delicious, better for you meals totally free of charge. That's B O S S to 21688. Now back to the show. Tell me about the fundraising process. You mentioned it was hard. Do you feel like it was harder as a woman to, to go through that process? I did. You know, I thought about this a lot and I actually do um, for a couple of reasons. So one, we all, I'm sure your listeners all know every, cause it's, it's been reported on that female, you know, women only get less than 2% of VC dollars, which is criminal. So already I knew I was at a disadvantage uh, I think the fact that um, when I went to some of these VCs and I talked about cauliflower crust pizzas and I said how they were sort of just beginning to sweep the internet, I'm not sure how many people really understood it. And, you know, I, you know, they were all men because that's who the VCs were all men. They, they were there, there, there might've been one, one woman I encountered throughout that whole process. Um, and I don't know if they fully grasp what I saw coming down the, the, the pipe. Um, I think that was hard. I feel, you know, and there were some that, you know, look, raising money is a bit of a dance. You have to like them and they have to like you. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a chemistry fit. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's nice being with other women because that's how you feel comfortable and you feel understood. But at the end of the day, you have to go with the, the, the money and the, and the wisdom that is going to be best for your business. And that's what I did. What did you learn about pitching, right? Like the pitching is everything. You can pitch the same thing a thousand different ways. You know, sometimes you don't know who you're walking into the room to talk to. Uh, You know, your pitch can evolve so much from the first time you give it to the hopefully last time you give it successfully. Um, What kind of advice would you have 
for those of us who would be pitching either to investors or just otherwise? It's such a good question because it is it is hard because you know, I can't imagine ever pitching anything that is as meaningful to me as my business was at the time and still is quite frankly. So you're never like, it's easy. I, you know, I used to work at a global public relations agency. I used to pitch business all the time. It didn't mean a fraction to what your own business means to you. And I think at the end of the day, you do have to show your passion. You do have to show your commitment. You do have to show your understanding of your business. But most of all, you have to show cold, hard facts. You have to show data, all the emotion and all the passion and all the commitment to the business doesn't mean a thing if you can't put the data there to back it up. And so I think one thing that, you know, some people, some entrepreneurs, you know, forget, or maybe an opportunity is to spend a little bit of money and get that data that you need to prove your point. Um, I got a little, I didn't get nearly as much as I should have. We were lucky we were in market. So I, I, I definitely did have that data. Um, but uh, it's really important that uh, to show that um, you have numbers to back up your words. And so many of us are thinking about doing this right now, like either, you know, bootstrapping your own businesses, starting businesses, raising money, freelancing, you know, millions of women are losing their jobs right now because of the pandemic. Do you think right now is the right time to think about becoming an entrepreneur or starting over? You've started over so many times. What do you think about now as the time? I actually think it's a great time. And in some ways, maybe it's an even better time than when uh, when I did it. Um, and I think that for a couple reasons. You know, one, I remember I worked. Uh, so I, I I left my job in May of 2016, and I launched in February of 2017. And that time in between, I did I worked in secrecy. Nobody knew what I was doing. Nobody knew what I was planning. Uh, and quite frankly, I didn't want people's opinion because I knew they would tell me, well, what the hell do you know about food? And I didn't really want to hear it. So I think now is a wonderful time to do whatever is necessary, to hunker down at home and build a business plan. And look, I think if there's anything this time is showing us is what are you waiting for? What 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 are you waiting for? I when I think about Kali, starting Kali Power and the decision to make to start Kali Power, the one thing that scares the heck out of me that I rarely talk about is how close I came to not doing it. I woke up that morning with a pit in my stomach, and I did not think that I could, I could, I could do it. And for some reason, and I don't know, maybe it was my father speaking to me from up above. Maybe it was my kids cheering me on. Maybe it was a particularly strong cup of coffee I had. I have no idea what it was. But I got to tell you, nothing scares me more than thinking about how I almost didn't come on this journey. And I think if this time teaches us anything, it's wear the blouse eat the pizza, go for your dreams, make it happen because you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
and spill and, the pizza um, on the blouse. <laughs> Well, the piece on my, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have this, I, I, I have this cashmere blanket that I bought. It was on sale. I didn't, couldn't afford it. I bought it many years ago. I never used it, Sophia. It sits, it sat in my living room. I never used it. And then when COVID started and it was raining in Los Angeles, it was very cold. And I thought, well, I'm going to be sitting on the couch working. I'm at least going to, you know, use this blanket. And I have to tell you, I thought to my, what the hell have I been waiting for? This blanket was soft and beautiful and made me feel special and it was warm. And I just thought, you got to use the blanket. You can't wait for tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. And there are so many problems to be solved in today's world, more than we've ever had, that I just know that there are incredible amounts of women out there whose brains are working overtime in thinking of ways to help solve those problems. That's amazing. Now's the time for those of us who, you know, are, are laid off or, you know, our businesses are struggling. You know, you're in a little bit different of a position, but we're all reflecting, right? We're all thinking about, you know, what it is that we want, what the future of our business could be. We're having to pivot. Where are you in terms of, you know, thinking about, What's next with Kali Power? You know, has this time given you an opportunity to reflect in that regard? Is there anything that, that you think will come out of this time that you'll be really proud of or, or that's inspiring you right now? I've always liked the idea. It's always driven me for Kali Power to really um, help people right now and somehow make their lives easier, whether it's, you know, giving them something that they can eat and feel good about, or if it's, you know, providing free meals to those in need. I feel more committed to that today than I ever have before. And, um, and so I don't know what shape that's going to be in Collie Power's future or in my future. Um, but I don't think there has been anything as rewarding in this business as seeing the impact uh, it has on people's life. Gosh, you have spent so much time and had so many opportunities to really reflect and think about what success means to you. And it seems like you've made a lot of really smart choices about you know what, where you want your life to go, and taking big risks, and you know cultivating a family and a business, and you know a new. I know you're remarried. Success can mean so many things, and you're obviously like a picture of success, but you know, it's not just about financial success. And that word is something I think all of us are thinking about and redefining for ourselves, especially right now. Gail, what does success mean to you right now? I define, I have always defined success by being uncomfortable, by learning something new, by trying something different by taking a risk. And quite frankly, before Collie Power, I never had the opportunity to, to take a risk. I worked my way up the co corporate ladder. I had never done a hundred things that I wanted to do. I never lived abroad. I, I never um, took a gap year. I never, you know, a hundred different ways to answer that question. I never really, really took a risk. And I never really bet on myself. And I think 
there's no better way, particularly if you're an entrepreneur that, you know, has a vision stuck inside you. There is no better time to bet on yourself. And I always say this, and I, I say it to my kids all the time. If you don't bet on yourself, no one else in this world ever will. And the day I started Collie Power, I sat my two sons at the kitchen table and I made them watch and listen as I made the very first phone call to start the company because I wanted them to see that I was going to take a chance and it's never too late to take a chance. I'm an older entrepreneur. I've had a long career before this. The thing is, there's no good time to start a company. It's like having kids. There's never the right time. So just do it. Yeah, I'm going to just get knocked up. <laughs> uh, quarantine. No, I have, I have a boyfriend. I have a great boyfriend. Um yeah, it just sounds like, you know, you've put your kids on the stool that you sat on in your dad's store. And that's a really special wow, thing. Wow, that's, that's such a lovely way to say it. I never thought of that. Thank you. It means yeah. a lot. Um, so we're in this time where a lot of us are having low moments. And then there's those rare high moments that, you know, we're really proud of something in our lives. And it could be, you know, I ate healthy today. I exercised or... You know, I took time for my kids or I, you know what, like I, I inspired my team today during a really, really hard time, had to deliver tough news, but we all came out the other side feeling great about it. Anything. Essentially, it's really anything. It's this thing called a girl boss moment that we talk about on every episode of girl boss radio. Um, Gail, what was your most recent girl boss moment? My most recent girl boss moment um, was actually a long time coming. I only made it uh, a moment recently. And that was, um, you know, I think when you're a woman in business, you have all of these um, occasions in life to witness either cases of sexism being done to others or being done to you and you sort of just get used to it and you just move on because that's what life is and that's what business is. And and now that I have my own business, I recently came into two very distinctive instances with two vendors who really sort of displayed very sexist views. And so for the first time in my life, I called them out on it. I actually picked up the phone and said, here's what you did and why it made me really uncomfortable and why you should never do it again. And both of them actually really appreciated one more than the other, really appreciated me taking the time to do that. And I think I did it because what I realized is that if I didn't do that, how do we ever stop the cycle? How does it ever change? If nobody's calling it out, how does it really ever change for the next woman? And so I suddenly felt empowered and this, this you know, sense of, um, I don't know, the sense of duty to to do precisely that and it felt really really good yeah yeah that's amazing I feel like it's something that 
a lot of us gain conf- you know, gain the confidence to say something like that over the course of our lives. And can you imagine if younger women were saying the same thing? You know, how many years ago could you have said something like that to someone where we, you know, we wouldn't have otherwise? Where um, everybody listening to Girl Boss Radio right, has that opportunity to you know, raise their hand and say, yo, this is not okay. And it's an opportunity for other people to learn. It's not really our job. No. We shouldn't have to, but by doing right. so, we are protecting the next woman who comes along who might have to hear that kind of shit. Exactly. And it is, it, it, it kind of is our job. I, I, and maybe because I'm an older entrepreneur and I've, I've seen a bit more, I don't know, but I, I really felt a sense of duty on behalf of, other women entrepreneurs or anyone else who would come in contact with these people and you know and they didn't know so I don't know yeah I just think we shouldn't have to teach them like it's definitely our duty where it exists but god these guys should just get on the internet or (laughs) read a book or something you know I'd prefer not to to (laughs) for not to have to teach them but um Gail, thank you so much for joining me today on Girl Boss Radio. It's been such a pleasure. I think our listeners are going to gain so much from this conversation. So congratulations on everything. I can't wait to eat all of your pizza. And <laughs> I know everybody listening feels the same. So thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I hope for all your fab female entrepreneurs out there, I hope they all know that I'll be cheering them on. Okay, that's our show for today. A big thank you to Gail for coming on the podcast and sharing her story. As always, remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review, do all the things because it really helps new listeners tune in. Okay, that's it for now. Bye, guys.